0: Welcome back to another episode of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. We're back with our friends at Empire Startups this week for another Empire Live and another great guest, Jenny Abramson from Rethink Impact. But wait, that's not John Zanoff. Something's different in the co-host world this week. We have an even more special co-host, Kelly Fryer, Program Director at Techstars. Kelly, thanks for being here. Tell us more about your conversation with Jenny recently.
1: Hello, hello! Thanks, Zach, for letting me take your car out for a spin and guest host today's episode. I'm excited for all of our listeners to hear today's show because we covered far more than just fintech with our incredible guest, Jenny Abramson. Jenny is the founder and managing partner of Rethink Impact, the largest impact venture capital firm in the country, dedicated to investing in women. She's invested in great fintech companies such as Elevest and Future Fuel, along with startups in other sectors too. She's a former tech CEO herself, and she's spent time both in the private and public sectors. So basically, she's an all-around boss. In our conversation, you'll hear us talk through the fintech side of things, what's the future of fintech, what does this notion of fintech for good really look like, the venture side of things, how Rethink Impact supports entrepreneurs, what makes a good pitch, technologies Jenny's excited about, and a whole lot of things in between. From mental health for founders and the importance of self-care, especially right now, to the impacts of the global pandemic, to building a strong team. I hope you enjoy hearing from Jenny as much as I did. I noticed that the entire team at Rethink Impact is very open to the entrepreneurial community. All of you publish your email addresses on the website. You host office hours in key cities, which is great. Um, Tell us about the process at Rethink and what do you look for in founders and also just generally how do you scale to support so many entrepreneurs at once?
2: Um well thank you for the question. Um we we do try to be as open because we really believe this is more than just about the deals we do but about building an ecosystem to get the most diverse group of entrepreneurs into our pipeline as possible and to support entrepreneurs who may not be ready for us yet. We tend to invest in series A and B companies that already have revenue and are ready to scale up to 50-100 million and so We like to get to know entrepreneurs long before they're ready for us. Um, And we do that in a number of ways. We, um, as you mentioned, we do office hours in multiple cities and really around the country. People can video into them. Um, every month. We started that in 2017 when there were a lot of sexual harassment issues in the Valley. And we wrote a bit of a tongue-in-cheek letter that's still on our RethinkImpact.com website about how, you know, you don't have to drink beer with us and, you know, sort of hinting we're not going to hit on you and otherwise we're already taken. We've been in your shoes. And it led to a huge outpouring of both press, but also uh, inbound interest from entrepreneurs, many of whom may not be a fit, but who we try to be helpful to, and then who send us great deals. We also speak all around the country, whether it's South by Southwest or the United Nations, and we get great um, uh, entrepreneurs that way. We try to work with accelerators and incubators. And if you're out there and you're one that we aren't partnered with, please email us because our goal is to diversify both geographically, racially, politically, in every way, all the entrepreneurs we're talking to. Um, And we do that in all these different forms. And for the entrepreneurs we do invest in, We continue to support them by much more than our capital. And that can be anything from finding talent for them, to PR, to deal terms of their next round, to finding their next investor, board seats, um, you name it. And it really, we try to meet entrepreneurs where they are. As a former CEO, that's important to me.
1: Yeah, for sure. I bet I'm sure the open letter really helped to break down some of those intimidation barriers that come with entrepreneurs when they want to go out and talk to VCs and get a little bit nervous.
2: It's amazing how many said they'd never been able to get into a VC. Incredible entrepreneurs who just hadn't had that opportunity. So it's pretty incredible to to meet people that way.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I know also you grew up in a very entrepreneurial and and to be honest, venture household. Um, I'm curious were venture deals kind of discussed around the dinner table and just normal household discussion.
2: Um, so you're right. My mom uh, ran a venture comp, uh, firm more than 20 years ago, actually investing in women before it was a thing. I um Yes. Sometimes she talked about her companies. I think I, I specifically remember being in college and seeing my mom on the cover of a magazine with a cigar superimposed in her hands with a title called welcome to the club or something like that. And at the time being very surprised because, uh, you know, the environments I was in, whether it was at Stanford or elsewhere, were pretty much, I saw gender equality. And so it was the first time that I started realizing um, that there was something that was unusual about something that seemed not unusual to me. And Unfortunately, the percentage of dollars going to female-led businesses, and frankly, businesses led by any underrepresented entrepreneur, have actually gone down, not up, since my mom did this work 20 years ago. And so a lot of what led me to want to start Rethink Impact was seeing that there was both a financial opportunity to invest in diverse teams, but also um, that the problems were getting better if they were getting worse.
1: Yeah, I'm sure if you grew up where that was such a, a norm, um, having you know, strong women at the helm and, and getting funded, and, and then you start to see the numbers dwindling even more, it's definitely going to motivate you to, to do something about it. Yeah, seemed like time to make change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, wanted to throw in a quick reminder to go ahead and start throwing in your questions and start upvoting them so we can um, start answering those in, in the next few minutes here. But Jenny, you know, I'm also curious. What advice do you have for women who are looking to break into venture, um, or really just anyone who who wants to get started in the industry?
2: I mean, anyone who um, wants to get started, I think those of you who are already here are doing the right thing, which is building your network, hearing from others who do it, tracking down resources. I'm obviously biased because I love my job and I have the privilege of funding the next wave of sort of these iconic, in our case, very impact-oriented entrepreneurs um, who are using tech to tackle the world's greatest problems. But I think if that's something that's very appealing to you, um, there isn't one perfect path. You know, my partner came up through the investment banking traditional finance world. I obviously came through um, being an entrepreneur. So I think there's not one right path. And it's really figuring out um, what you love to do and leading to this work that way.
1: I think at the same point, you know, the grass is sometimes greener, um, or we at least think it is. Um, So do you have any thoughts on kind of when mentor is clearly not a fit for someone?
2: It's a great question. You know, I think if you're someone that loves to run businesses and get into the weeds on every business, it may not be right for you. Because at the end of the day, you're there to support your entrepreneurs, support these companies, especially if you do sort of more growth stage like we do, um, and really pick amazing people to back and be there to support them but not run the businesses. I think if you also love running large teams, usually venture capital firms aren't massive teams. And this isn't about running large teams. It's about Really being behind the scenes and helping others um, thrive. And so I think if you know if your goal is to be the one that's on the cover of the magazine and the one that's you know running the teams and really in the weeds of running a business, venture may not be the right path.
1: Yeah, I agree there. Um, One thing that I absolutely love about your background is how heavily involved you are in work outside of Rethink and outside of the venture community. Um, You're on the board of the NFL Players Association, DC Prep, All Raise, just to name a few. Um, And I'm curious, how do you prioritize what efforts you get involved with? Um, And also, if you have any recommendations for folks who are looking to get more involved with either board work or organizations outside of just kind of their normal day to day.
2: Yeah, um, so I'm not the best at saying no. I will be honest; I try, but it's no, hard. I tend to, you know, focus on opportunities that do two things. One is things that I think help build the ecosystem that Rethink happens to play in, but sort of helps grow it more broadly. So if it's all raised, which is about driving more dollars to female founders and promoting women within venture capital um, and intersectionality that's exciting. DC Prep, which is an inner city set of charter schools, is about increasing access to education. And obviously, that's a sector that we invest in with Rethink Impact. And so they sort of fit into the broader ecosystem. But truthfully, I'd say the biggest driver of of the various things I do are things that I'm passionate about and that I think the world needs to see change in. Um, And some of that change can happen through the private sector and the work I'm doing at Rethink Impact, but some of it needs to happen through the nonprofit sector. Uh, And so I I feel like it's my responsibility to help out in all sorts of ways, and it's fun, so I do it for all sorts of reasons. And in terms of your question of advice, I my general advice would be, you know, figure out what you're passionate about because those will be the things that you'll be able to make the time for. You know, when you're not getting to watch the extra show, when you're not getting to go out, you know, it's those boards that take a lot of time, and so make sure you're passionate about whatever you're signing up to do uh, as a volunteer opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, too, good. again, going back to that kind of uh, career question is that um, it's also a great way just to meet new people that are kind of outside of your, your normal bubble um, to, to network with. Absolutely. Um, starting to see a few questions come in. So thanks for those and be sure to, to upvote them and, and submit your own questions, too. This is my my last one. So um, definitely start putting in those questions in the chat so we can ask Jenny here in a moment. Um, but Jenny, you know, obviously, this is a fintech AMA. So I have to ask, you know, with Rethink Impact, you've invested in female founders, just generally leading, um, solving big problems with within tech. Um, so one sector you've obviously been fairly active in is fintech with investments in Future Fuel, NextSeed. Um, are there any areas in fintech that you're especially excited about right now? I love fintech.
2: Uh, We like fintech for good. So rather than thinking of it as an area of, you know, um, one specific narrow part of fintech, we look at fintech more sort of horizontally and say, what are parts of fintech that lead to sort of economic empowerment of those who have sort of been left out of the system? And really, that's businesses that provide underserved communities with tools and resources necessary to move up the economic ladder. And these companies can span industries. They can leverage a range of technologies. That when they're deployed at scale can help build a more inclusive economy. So you mentioned Elevs, for example. You know they've created an incredible investment platform for women. Uh, we led their Series A, and I sit on their board. And they're dealing with the fact that women have you know 32 cents to a man's dollar of wealth, and for Black women, that that number is significantly worse. And women hold 71 percent of their wealth in cash, and so by not participating in the in the market alongside men, women lose out on the returns and are three times more likely to live in poverty by the time they're 75. So we look at opportunities like that as this is a real problem and therefore a huge market opportunity. It's likely to attract incredible talent who wants to make a difference in their day job and uh, have a big um, potential upside. Similarly, Future Fuel, which is a student debt platform um, and a fintech platform targeting the 44 million people in the US who I think collectively have trillion in student debt, the last Mm -hmm. I checked, Um, you know, a company like that that allows employers to offer student loan repayment and refinancing as a benefit, and then also allows users to directly sign up to either pause their student debt payments or get some relief. Those are the kinds of businesses that excite us because they are affordable, accessible, and therefore, and also a massive market opportunity.
1: Yeah or is there anything fintech or otherwise that's you feel like is kind of missing from your portfolio you wish you had but but haven't found yet.
2: Gosh, um, you know, we invest in about twenty companies in each fund, and we look at about you know twenty five hundred of which we <laughs> pick from. So um, we've seen that we've seen a lot, but I'm always open and excited to see more deals. Um, we tend to like companies when they get to about a half a million million in annual recurring revenue. So if those of you out there um, know when to come our way, and we'll we'll fund them. You know, at a Series A, Series B, sometimes Series C. So um, we're really open um, and and always looking for others. But and we look on the margins too. You know Whether it's child care platform or others that aren't directly fintech, but we think touch financial empowerment issues, um, like Winnie, uh, for example, which is a company we funded, um, we're excited about a whole range.
1: Fantastic. You heard it here first, folks. Reach out to Jenny if you uh, fit into uh, that specific area of companies. So now let's get to the real fun and start answering these live submitted questions here. Um, let's see, the first one it looks like focuses on mental health. So obviously mental health is so critical for our founders. Um, Sheltering in place can make the path of entrepreneurship much harder as we're dealing with this global pandemic. What advice do you, are you sharing with your portfolio companies to ensure that they're really keeping a healthy balance during this environment?
2: Uh, It's such an important question. Um, It's something that we think about every day. Um, I think it's a few things. One, it's about making sure you have a community or cohort of people to turn to, especially if you're at the top of your organization. I think you can often, it can be lonely at the top, as they say, and making sure you have that. And we try to do that for our own portfolio companies, but making sure you find a network of peers to be able to commiserate with, talk about, you know, lead with. So I think that's one thing that can be very helpful. We try to create Slack channels for entrepreneurs, we try to bring in speakers, you know, talks and otherwise. I think. The second is there are a lot of really exciting tools out there, um, depending on how far along your company is for you and your employees. Um, we have a company, for example, Spring Health, that's a next generation mental health services platform that works with companies to allow them to do virtual therapy sessions for their employees. Um, I think the third is it can become easy working in your basement or wherever you're working to work 24 hours a day in some ways. And um, there's there's certainly benefits to not traveling, but the downside is you can be very sort of alone and just making sure you take time to go outside, to do other things, to um, connect with other people, um, not Always on zoom i think um is important and uh sometimes by phone if you can't meet in person given COVID. um but i think just also taking time to exercise and do other things is really important so i don't have one right answer but um zoning out we have a company called Serial box that allows you to listen um to serial episodes but but um by audio um, of fiction. And there's a lot of data that shows listening to fiction can de-stress you, give you a good break from the news, um, actually lowers a lot of um, confrontation and other issues. So I highly am right now listening to a bunch of Sero box episodes at night just
1: as a way to zone out and recommend that as well. That's very cool. Yeah, I think especially right now, just being very intentional about um, creating that work-life balance because it's so easy working from home for the lines to be blurred right now. Um, Let's see. How do you feel about remote work's impact on the future of fintech VC? Any trends that you're seeing or um, thoughts on kind of where it's headed? And I think there's a potential for
2: remote work to actually be a great thing. I think that there was a lot of time wasted. And frankly, a lot of people who really couldn't be in the workforce in the way they wanted because there wasn't enough flexibility in the workforce. And I think a lot of leaders of companies have started to realize that you don't have to always be in person. Uh, I think that they've found that you can do what you're doing, and sometimes even more efficiently uh, being remote. And I think that will open up channels to new talent pools that aren't in the immediate vicinity of, of the fintech company, whether it's in New York or wherever it is, um, and make it a lot easier for people who have um, other reasons they can't travel, whether it's family reasons or otherwise, to be part of the fintech ecosystem. And to us, the more people that can be part of it, the more likely you are to succeed because you're tapping into a more diverse um, pool
1: of talent. Great. More accessibility. Absolutely. How do you think the current world events will change the main focus areas for Rethink? Um, Have you all talked about it internally at all of of changing either focus or adding new focuses?
2: It's a good question. You know, our four main areas of focus beyond obviously investing in diverse teams, because we know the data is there, that they perform better. So so nothing is changing on that. Our four main areas of focus are investing in education and particularly things that, that improve educational quality health and mostly mental and cognitive health, Um, environmental sustainability, which often touches social justice issues, and then FinTech or economic empowerment. Um, And so we don't anticipate those areas changing. A lot of those relate to the combination of where our team has expertise, where we've seen venture style exits, uh, and where we believe that there's deal opportunity that's a fit for us and we can be helpful. That said, we don't have hard and fast rules. And I could imagine, for example, um, you know, health being a particularly important area of innovation right now um, and really doubling down there or future of work, which crosses fintech sometimes and economic empowerment and other things. And what we have found in the past is that all of our sectors really blend and most companies don't fit just into one sector. They fit into multiple. And I think that trend will only be accelerated
1: by what's happening in the world. I was going to say, it seems like you all are already very well positioned for a lot of the trends and um, focus areas that are happening right now, anyway. Um, and and kind of blending across your different teams is uh, the right time for that.
2: Truthfully, you know, our team was built from the beginning all over the country. We picked based on people and who made sense to add, not based on a location. And we think it allows us, you know, originally to be more in person in different places. But truthfully, I think this this change in work hasn't been that different for us. And I think we have found it um, to be actually a really good way to get uh, more people to be part of the work.
1: This is a really great question. Um, What are some of the characteristics or personality traits that are key for successful founders? And I'm also kind of curious, adding to this, if you see changes uh, from like the early stage and then you're a bit more at the growth stage as founders develop a little bit more leadership and just experience.
2: That's a great question. You know, I think I'd say two things. There's key traits in founders and there's key traits in terms of who founders surround themselves with. So I think on the founder side, it's always a mix of someone who, um, in our case, because we tackle and we're interested in businesses tackling big challenges that make money while they tackle them. We look for people who either have a personal connection to that challenge or reason um, that they really want to solve that challenge because we find that when things get tough, which as you know, they always do at some point, um, having something that is beyond just the business goals to keep you going through the hard parts is really a powerful tool. So we like that. Um, we like founders who are are optimistic because I think you have to be an optimist to do this kind of work because otherwise you are crazy. Um, but also have a specific skill set. And that can be technical, it can be sales. And then as importantly, they surround themselves with people who are different from them and different in all sorts of ways. We think that if you are, a, for example, in a health company and you're a clinical founder, we want to know that your number two knows business and knows how to sell. If you're a business founder, we want to know that your number two is a clinical person. We really find that when you have these complementary sets built in from the beginning that matters, and that you surround yourself with a team that is different from you uh, gender difference, race difference, you know, all different kinds of personalities, because that is the way to make the whole company have diversity in the end. And that's going to be better for returns. And so we're really looking for founders that do that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a point that's really um, overlooked when uh, founders are building that early team is really thinking about who else do I need to put on the team versus just finding a tech person to fill that gap. But what other skills do they really need to have to better complement your own?
2: And it's really not about who you can go grab a beer with. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it has to be about who is going to question you and challenge you and really provide a different perspective. Or if you're serving, if you're a direct to consumer business, if you're not the consumer you're serving, make sure you have someone on the team who's serving that. And so it's really that mix of things that we're looking for um, in our founders. I think there are a lot of people who sort of get obsessed with the cult of personality of one CEO, uh, investors who back that. And well, of course, the CEO matters. And plays a critical role. Um, Often, them thinking about who else is on the team matters just as much. Yeah,
1: agreed. Um, Speaking of kind of uh, conflicting opinions and and arguing with you, I'm curious, what are some future of tech trends that all of your colleagues kind of don't agree with, and that you had some pushback on?
2: Right now, I think there's debate on what's going to happen to valuations. Um, you know, I think there are some who believe that valuations are going to go down significantly uh, in light of the current economic sort of conditions. And there are some who believe there's so much cash out there that pricing isn't going to change. And so I think, um, you know, that is still my, my view is it's too early to tell. But I think that is, is an example of something um, that really... Um, There's not consistency right now in the market.
1: With COVID right now, I think there's a lot of questions about, you know, just kind of in general, are VCs really kind of deploying capital? Are they waiting? Has Rethink participated in a virtual raise since COVID? And what advice do you have for startups trying to raise with these elongated timelines and virtual environment?
2: I think there were some people who were sitting on the sidelines, and unfortunately for women in particular, that really um, hit pause and frankly took progress backward. Um, So to give an example data-wise, in Q1 of 2019, 7.1% of deals that were funded um, had female leaders in them. That number went down to 4.3% in Q1 of 2020. And I think that relates to sort of age-old trends of pattern matching and people turning to entrepreneurs that they already know uh, and not sort of in investing in people they hadn't met, which obviously COVID... Made, made very challenging. So I think um, there are some of those trends. We are still investing. We just announced last week a, a really exciting deal in a business called Care Academy, um, which is allowing, um, I don't know if you're you not, so you may know I, them. There, Yeah, a, I've heard of them. Yeah, um, Boston-based SaaS company that does online training, certification, and compliance for caregiving agencies and essentially allows people to age and ail in their homes, um, which, of course, becomes even more important in a COVID world, but something we were working on before. It also allows um, people to upscale workers who are serving as caregivers in these homes um, and really increase their education and therefore their salaries. And it's run by an incredible woman uh, out of Boston, and we're incredibly excited to be in that deal. So we did that last week, um, and we'll continue to do deals. We think that Um, you don't always have to meet someone for zoom, you know, can count. Uh, and we think it's important that business continue. And some of these businesses are solving real problems that have to get solved. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Congratulations on that one. Thanks. Has FinTech for good played out the way you thought it would, um, how far do we really have to go in really building in that direction and focusing in that direction?
2: You know, I think FinTech, um, still has a lot of room. There are so many people who can't access our financial systems and there are so many social justice issues that ultimately will only get solved with fintech solutions that give everyone access um, to saving, to um, being able to retire appropriately, to being able to have money to care for people. And so many of these issues, whether it's your childcare, your um, daily uh, expenses, everything else, really have fintech elements to them. So while I think there's a lot of progress and I'm excited about the kinds of businesses I mentioned before, um, we think there's a lot of room and a lot of opportunity. And as you look back at past recessions and past downturns, some of the best FinTech businesses were often created in downturns. So I'm really excited to see what hopefully many of the people on this um, session, but, but others are going to create uh, in this moment, because I think downturns really create opportunities in FinTech.
1: Same. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of great businesses come out of this. What's the best and also worst way to pitch Rethink? Anything that are kind of huge red flags for you or things that you absolutely want to want to see? That's a good question.
2: Um, You know, I like pitches that are succinct. Um, I love ideally to see a deck ahead of time and then have the person not come on and just reread the deck, but to instead be able to have a discussion and a conversation. Um, I like pitches that quickly make clear what the business opportunity is, what the margins are, what the unit economics are for the business. Um, and also how they can scale quickly into the, to a growth size and know that they're really a venture-style business. Um, I haven't seen a lot of this, but I do think the idea of doing a couple-minute video that is your pitch is something to think about in this moment because I think it's an easy way for VCs that are inundated to just quickly digest the information. Um, and it forces you to put it into a 2-minute pitch um, and can sort of get people excited. So that's something I, I would like to see but haven't seen.
1: Yeah, that's unique. I've not um, seen that yet either, but that's a good thing. And also, I think just a healthy exercise is can you distill your company down into those 2 minutes?
2: There are some people who really need an hour to explain their business. And I would say you should really be able to if you have a half hour meeting with a VC to in 15 minutes have walked through everything and have 15 minutes for discussion or you're sort of shortchanging yourself.
1: Agreed. This one was a good one. Uh, do you believe that we could have a work life balance if we're not successful yet? I found a mix message between people who promote work life balance are kind of the ones who are a little bit later in their careers already and already successful. Um, but in contrary to their message, they worked long hours in the beginning to get to where they are. So do you believe that that even really exists at the early days of your career?
2: I think it depends what you do. I think, I, you know, I don't want to paint a picture that I don't think is realistic. I think for a lot of startups, it is challenging to have a work-life balance. Um, I don't, I think it's certainly possible, but I'm not sure of the, of the things I'm best at giving advice on. I'm not sure I've mastered that one yet myself. So um, I don't want to, you know, pretend to and sound hypocritical. I, I'm still working on that every day.
1: That's fair. I was going to say, I think it's a constant um, thing that you're trying to figure out. I don't know if even if you feel like you've mastered it, I'm sure the next day you suddenly feel like you haven't mastered it um, and just ebbs and flows.
2: But I do think it's important to ebb and flow. And I do think it's important to find things you're passionate about. Um, I briefly did a hip hop stint for a while. I think I was at our investor summit and my partner noticed I was twitching weirdly. And she said, what's wrong with you? And I realized I was just so sore and out of shape. But, you know, so I think you have to figure out what your things are, but find things you're passionate about that force you to stop working. And that's probably the best um, way to do it because the work will take up as much time as you have.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, this is a little bit more about kind of your personal career, but I was getting an MBA worth your time and, and money. Do you feel like it was a worthwhile part of your um, kind of career path?
2: Yeah, for me it was. Um, I really didn't know, you know, what I had studied at, at Stanford was was really political science, and I did organizational behavior, and I did a human genomics stuff in London, and I really didn't know finance, and even my time in consulting, I didn't know finance. And so for me, and what I ended up doing, it was very helpful. Um, and I found that the people I met at HBS were just an incredible group um, who have been helpful in all sorts of ways. Um, that's not true for everyone um, at all, but um, for me, it. it more than paid for itself and um, was very valuable long-term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think enjoyed that, it,
2: you know, I which is the
1: most important part. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was going to say, I think the people from getting my MBA, I think the people are are essential um, and, and making sure, you know, you're kind of making the most of that opportunity, but also I think the experiential learning It besides kind of what you learn in the classroom, it's the internships, it's working with different, organizations and clubs and things like that, that I think um, ends up being really helpful or the things you remember most later on in your career. Exactly. Um, Let's see. How has the pandemic and other recent events affected innovation and the types of companies you're looking at? You talked a little bit about that before. um, But just in general, are you seeing changes in how people are thinking about innovation right now?
2: Yeah, I mean we tend to only invest in, in tech businesses. We're not as interested in physical inventory. So it's not like we're looking at mass companies or desks apparently or selling like gangbusters. Um, we um, so I'd say we're seeing a lot of an interesting innovation in healthcare we're seeing um, some interesting innovation in sort of this FinTech for good space. Um, but really, and, and obviously education, right? I think people, um, while they'll complain that having their kids at home over the past few months has been painful, it's also given people a much closer look to what their kids are actually doing in school and a role that they haven't, many haven't played. So I think there's a lot of really interesting things that'll happen in the sort of hybrid sprays between homeschooling and not homeschooling. And that that space will blend much more. And I think we're starting to see some interesting opportunities there. Mm. And mental health in particular in the health space, I think is also an area that we're seeing some great innovation in. Finally, (laughs) much needed. (laughs) Much needed. Um, I think the only other big thing, which is less about sector, is inside sales are playing a much bigger role. So one of the things we did for our portfolio is bring an expert in inside sales to talk to all of them because many of these companies had only ever met and sold people in person. And it's a very different set of techniques and very different skill set to do that. And so I think how people work um, is, is also changing and what you're looking for to see in companies and their skills around sales are very different.
1: Yes. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. And that changes kind of who you're thinking about bringing on to your team. And again, who you're you're surrounding yourself with as you you build out your product. Let's see. You're um, obviously based in, in the D.C. area. so Those questions kind of uh, pertaining to that. The D.C. tech ecosystem has really grown a lot in recent years. Um, what types of tech companies should think about an HQ or a second office in or around D.C.? Um, and then, kind of with that, how important is um, HQ location in this age of of COVID right now?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I love DC. I grew up in DC, so I'm thrilled to get to do what I do here. But I sit on you know three boards in California and a board in New York, and um, and various other places. So I don't think you have to be in one location. Um, I think the government is going to play an increasing role and opportunity for many startups just in light of everything that's been happening with COVID. And so there could be an opportunity there um, with more companies. But I also think you can do that with consultants and otherwise. So I don't think there's a perfect place. Obviously, San Francisco, where we have people, is a great place to be if you just want to be near VCs. But may not matter quite as much as it used to, um, and I think as a underrepresented entrepreneur, whether you're, you know, a female, a person of color, or otherwise, sometimes being in a different market can work to your advantage. Um, I did a study with PitchBook last year that showed that places like New York might be better to be a female entrepreneur than San Francisco, uh, in the Bay Area, and so I think really thinking about what's the right ecosystem for you, where do you have the right supports, and realizing that this moment in our, our time may change and make it easier for you to be wherever you want to be. Yeah.
1: That's a great point. Um, it looks like we have one last question here, which is, uh, can you talk to the pivot versus persevere challenge in, in your product or in products and, and model?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's such a, always such a hard thing to know. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, you've got to feel out if you're B2B, for example, is there customer interest in paying for what you have? And you can believe so deeply in what you're doing, but if no one's willing to pay for it, whether it's consumer or business, um, it's probably a problem and a pivot may be needed. If people are willing to pay, but there are challenges um, with it, then I can sort of understands persevering more. Um, And I think it it can vary um, often based on that. But I tend to use as a rule of thumb, um, are people willing to pay enough uh, as a really good rule on whether you sort of keep pushing through?
1: Looks like we have another kind of a last minute question here. Um, Can you talk a bit more about ecosystem? For example, do you bring your companies together to share ideas? So really how you're thinking about um, your portfolio companies um, and also just engaging with the ecosystem in general?
2: Yeah, um, we think it is a critical part of our role and what we do, and it will make the system better. And we do it on a lot of levels. So in terms of our own investors, we bring them together once a year at an annual summit. We have investors from across, I think, more than thirty states, um, and we like that geographic diversity. It brings a lot of perspective when they get to hear from our companies. They often have introductions to make, and otherwise, and our investors, you know, can range from major foundations to, um, you know, individuals to universities and others. And we think that diversity and bringing them in the ecosystem is important within the portfolio. Similarly, we think that having time with all of them together and really giving people a cohort. Uh, To turn to whether it's for fundraising help, and our companies tend not to compete with each other, they're doing such different things. Um, Having a Slack channel for them, having other ways for them to connect right now in this moment in discussion on race in our country, um, really having other people because when you become a CEO, no one automatically makes you an expert in every topic. You know, no one makes you an expert in a health crisis that might impact your employees, no one makes you an expert in So many things that all of a sudden your employees might expect you to be an expert in. So we think that part of our job is hopefully to be on the other end of the phone 24-7 but also to provide a range of resources um, and discussion opportunities while not burdening our, our leaders with more than they already have. Um, being a, a leader of a startup is one of the hardest jobs you can have. And I'm just every day in awe of the incredible people I get to work with and support behind the scenes. And so what we don't want to do is create work for them when possible. Um, we mostly just want to sort of be there and give them resources to take advantage of.
1: Yeah. Yeah peers is um, really, really beneficial um, for, for the startup CEOs or just anyone in, in general, the CTOs just hearing from each other and bouncing ideas off of each other. Exactly. Well, with that, thank you so, so much to Jenny for joining me here today. Um, we know that you're extremely busy, so we appreciate your time. Uh, be sure to follow Jenny on Twitter at Abramson Jenny or at Rethink Impact. Both of those are in the chat there. Um, Be sure to follow her on social. And thanks to all of you for listening to us today and, and being here with us. I had an incredible time being your guest host today. Uh, keep an eye out for today's show on the incredible For fintech Sake podcast so that you can listen to it there as well. And we hope to see you right back here in two weeks on July 1st when we welcome John Stein from Betterment to the show. Um, until you. then, thanks so much, Jenny. Thank you
2: so much. It was great questions. And I'll try to tweet out resources based on the questions I got in case some of my answers didn't quite satisfy. But really, um, thank you for moderating.
1: And thanks for having me as part of this. Of course. Have a great day, everyone.
0: I hope you enjoyed this very special episode of For Fintech's Sake with Kelly and Jenny. If you want to get in touch with us or join a future Empire Live, you can find Empire Startups on Twitter at Empire Startups or sign up for their weekly newsletter at empirestartups.com. You'll be able to see any new and upcoming AMAs and lots more fintech fun on there. Kelly, our new and wonderful guest host, is not on the tweeters, so you can find her on LinkedIn at Kelly Fryer. And if you want to get in touch with me, learn more about Bond, or just talk it out during these incredibly trying times, holler at me. You can get in touch with me via email at Zach at For Sake or find me on Twitter at Zach Pettit or at For Sake. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming.